0: Welcome to a special bonus edition of the Rabona podcast. Once again, I'm Ms. Kwonga, joined by Ryan Hun. Michael De Silva is indisposed. A moment of silence for Michael. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> and we're here to discuss Barcelona, Villarreal and other bits and pieces in our Liga with Sid Lowe. Yes. We're joined by Joe Tung to discuss Spurs' wonderful new stadium and just general football roundup. Oh, we have to start though with oh. the event, juventus Cagliari Racial abuse, Moyes Keane, and the reaction of Leonardo Bonucci.
1: This sucks, man. It's bad. Can I just say something quickly before we get into it? We only started this podcast during the World Cup last year. We didn't start it weekly until the beginning of the season. And this is already the third time
0: we've spoke about stuff like this.
1: The third. Already. And that's that's not, um, we haven't done it for each isolated incident either.
0: No, no, not at all. We've tried to sort of take a broad view of it.
1: But we had a couple of questions following the England Montenegro game about this as well, and we did say that we were going to kind of cover it.
0: And it's a shame that another incident has happened. So for those who, I mean, everyone's aware of what's happened, right? Everyone's aware. Well, yeah, fill them in, maybe fill them in. So um, Juventus forward comes on; he's 19 years old. Scores the opening goal or the second, the winner, the winner, and. There have been monkey chants at him. I mean, Keane's been getting monkey chants the entire game. Goes over to calorie fans, puts his arms out, and basically is like, you know, pretty mildly. There you go. What do you think of that? Are you not entertained? Leonardo Bonucci then comes out and says it's 50-50 blame because they shouldn't have been chanting, but also he shouldn't have provoked them. Even though they've been chanting monkey chants the entire game, the manager of Juventus, Allegri, who is getting away with this to a large extent, people aren't really mentioning him so much, comes out and basically has similar comments. And, you know, what disgusts me about this, let me just get right into it. Juventus Football Club, I don't know how many of you uh, administrators of the club, fans club, listen to this podcast. Juventus as a club, it is very interesting to contrast the treatment of Cristiano Ronaldo, for whom they literally moved an entire continent, apparently, to avoid him getting served with papers for an alleged sexual assault. And the treatment of, a brilliant young forward who is the future of their club. Cristiano Ronaldo has many things, but he's not the future of Juventus. Mm-hmm. This young player is the future. And what's more, other young black players who may be the future of Juventus will be watching this and they'll be receiving the WhatsApp messages from people like Balotelli, people like Liliane Turam, people like Raheem Sterling, and thinking, I can make a much easier career elsewhere. And I also want to mention, this is the era of Matteo Salvini, a man, a politician who is driving Italy in such a far right direction who is blaming migration for so many of, not migration, let's be frank, non-white people, blaming black people for so many of Italy's ills. This is also a country where, just six years ago, the first ever black minister was racially abused. was called something equivalent to a monkey by, I think, a fellow politician. That is the racial context of Italy right now. And for Juventus to refuse to come out in support of Keane with a single tweet or anything like that. When they came out for, for Cristiano Ronaldo, so they're capable of doing it, and the fact they refuse to do so, they haven't censured Allegri or Banucci, says everything about their status as an institution.
1: I think this is the one of the things that's most jarring from this for me is that you know a couple of weeks ago or last week we had the Raheem Sterling thing in yeah. Montenegro. You compare and contrast the two reactions of the two managers after the game and. I don't want to start this segment by praising a white dude, but um, but I'm gonna (laughs) sorry, but like sounds terrible. But but, I mean,
0: he took responsibility.
1: He took responsibility. Like you know, Gareth Southgate came out after that game, hundred percent stood by his players, believed what they told him, and also I thought responded in a way where he showed awareness that he isn't an authority on this subject, which is I think a, a a lot of the problem with how racism gets discussed and dealt with in football because a lot of the people who are in charge of punishing a problem like that have never had to deal with that themselves you know so I thought it was really interesting when Gareth Southgate said listen I'm a middle-aged white guy I'm not an authority on racism yeah but he still went there but he still went there and he said this is unacceptable and basically how we would hope someone in that position would react and you contrast that with what happened in the Juventus game and the way that they so publicly backed Cristiano Ronaldo You know, this is a 19 year old young man. We've said this a million times that black players shouldn't have to score a goal in order to be, that's how you deal with racism.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Because they're well within their right minds
0: to go completely nuclear on it. Right, exactly. And and this is the the scary thing as well. Okay, so Al Jazeera published a piece and the piece is titled Footballers Back Juventus Moise Keen After Racist Abuse. There are no white footballers mentioned in the article. Now, here's the thing. I'm sure there are white players who privately showed sympathy, but here's the thing. Why aren't they angry? And this is what gets me. The spontaneous anger of social media is very revealing because there were not enough white players who were spontaneously angry at this. And this reminds me of Gary Neville's behaviour towards Raheem Sterling at the time when he was like, you know, we kind of tried to minimise it. We kind of tried to sort of like, you know, make sure his head was okay. They don't want to rock the boat. And do you know why they don't want to rock the boat? There's two reasons, I think. Either they're indifferent, right? Either they don't really care, which is a damning indictment, or they're scared. Because they know that if you align yourself with the unpopularity of that cause in public, you become a target. I think it's a lot of both. I think a lot of those players, frankly, have Benucci's view. Leland Taram came out at Juventus great and said, you are basically blaming the victim here. The same way that if a woman's sexually assaulted, you critique the clothing they're wearing. I thought it was amazing he came out and said that. And it's so striking that we haven't seen these strong statements from white footballers. And I think they're frightened of the flack. I think they know that racism in football is a very serious issue. And if they speak out, they become a target. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the only players that I have seen speak about it was, I think Hector Bellerin came out. Of course it'd be someone like and that. It's, someone it's like, always the one to expect. Not, not no, no, for no, no, this that's... specific incident. I think it was for when um, Arsenal played Spurs. We talk about the NBA quite a lot and we compare and contrast. And, you know, in comparison, the NBA to football as an institution is a very socially progressive league. And it's a predominantly black league as well. The difference is, though, that there is no real discussion about this. There is just, this is not acceptable. Right. And that is the bottom line. And it blows my mind. Well, it doesn't blow my mind. That sounds really naive because we live in a world where a lot of people think this is okay. So that's going to translate into football as well. But unless white players as well come out, Yeah. And say the same things. And white board directors. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the one thing, I can't remember who it was, but there was the Kaliuri defender who went uh, over to the crowd and was basically trying to be like, please stop this. Right. You know, and like fair play to him because that's his home... Yeah. And that,
0: as... he puts himself at more of a risk, but he knows, he, well, he takes responsibility. Yeah. And this is the thing. Where are the board directors? What are they saying? Where are the Juventus board directors? Where are the, what's the chairman saying? And they, they, they posted a tweet and they go, oh, look, look. And they, they you know, Moyes Keane is visiting a family and they go, oh, look, he's meeting these families. And they're like really proud of him. He's obviously like being trotted out as their club ambassador, a model employee who has been failed by his employers. And then Leonardo Bonucci comes out with an Instagram statement going, oh yeah, I was misunderstood. No, you weren't. And then the picture he posts on Instagram, he posts two pictures of black players, Matuidi and Keane, as if to say, oh, look, black people like me.
1: I mean, the only thing, right, when I read the Benucci stuff, which I thought is remotely explainable or understandable, was, say, for example, you and me were playing on a football team together, which we unfortunately haven't. We've played at the same club, but not on the same team. Shame, man, that would have been. (laughs) <laughs> the link-up play the link-up play
0: Moose. you haven't seen my first touch
1: <laughs> <laughs> but say for example we were playing a football match in a really hostile environment like env- hostile environment there you go Ooh, what, apt, oh, what oh, an apt kind oh of goodness. you know wow. yeah and you were getting sustained racial abuse throughout the whole game yeah the fact that we were still on the pitch I would question for a yeah. start yeah however if you then scored a goal and went to celebrate the same way that Kane did yeah the only way that I would come out and say anything remotely like what bonucci said was from an angle of being like not that you it was your fault that's the that's the thing that really it's the word blame yeah. which I take a real problem with I couldn't understand benucci's point of view if he was doing it from the point of trying to protect yeah. protect him and being like, I understood why he did it, but I really wish that he hadn't done that because I didn't want him to be the victim of more abuse. Does that make sense? Is Absolutely, that, does yeah. that, is that, Have I explained Absolutely, that well? Absolutely, yeah. What
0: you've said is so powerful because, you know what's funny about this? It's very telling that Mario Balotelli came out and criticised Benucci because those people have played together. Yeah. So he has context. So it's funny that Balotelli didn't come out and say, like you did, for example, oh, actually he's trying to protect him. Balotelli knows Benucci. And he knows how Bonucci is around these issues. And there's a photo that was circulating on Twitter. It's a photo that looks really interesting in hindsight. It's got Benucci's hand over Ballot his mouth as he's celebrating. Yeah. And I was like, it's so funny watching that because that could be anything. Out. It could be out of context. Yeah. But you look at it and you go to yourself, I think Bonucci's the type of dude who just wants this to go away, who has the attitude that we're professional footballers. We all get abused. You know, they say stuff about my, my wife, my kids. That's just part of football. Kind of, you know, suck it up type thing.
1: You know, speaking as a, as a white guy. So my point of view is that full equality in terms of racial, sexuality, gender, all of this stuff. I do not feel that my existence, for example, as a straight white guy is threatened in any single way it's not at all let's be real it's not no it's not it's not the default reaction for a lot of white people in this this scenario is they feel like they're being attacked right right it's like no 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 no. no, it's not it's not and it's like hashtag not all men right it's like men feel threatened straight away because a woman is highlighting a very negative trait about a lot of men you know and senior white people in positions like at board level or executive level or whatever in football understand that Or just people on the street, even, yeah. understand that, no, you have to compartmentalise it. Do you know it. I
0: mean? Actually, I want to get into it, actually. Do have I what? rambled
1: there? Massively? No, you haven't. No, you I, have it. you I haven't rambled. It, I, I kind of... Yeah.
0: Do you know how I feel about racism? I feel like when people say, what does Brexit mean? People go, Brexit means Brexit. They don't actually define it. When I see all these campaigns going no to racism, and you've actually nailed it here, you've really got me thinking. So thank you for that, Ryan. When people go no to racism, I'm like, what do you mean by racism? Well, this is it. Yeah, racism, it's not just a slogan. Listen, saying no to racism means being, as you mentioned rightly, a board member of Juventus and coming out and saying, Benucci was trying to defuse the situation, perhaps. Here's the thing, though fundamentally, if a crowd is chanting monkey chants from the beginning of a game, one of our employees, that is unacceptable in any context, any situation. And we will be taking steps to examine how this can be stopped in future. That is leadership. That's humanity. What is racism? Racism is the denial of humanity, right? And what does that mean in practical terms? It means that in practical terms, when you see someone denying the humanity of a human being, you go in on them mm-hmm. and you you make a statement about it, and then you back the statement with action. You don't just wave a flag or retweet something or like a post or click a slogan because anyone can do that. Anyone can do an Instagram update, right? And to me, what it is, means
1: nothing. Sorry to yeah, cut in, but it exactly. means nothing.
0: And what to me is absolutely disgusting, if you look at the supposed we're told that Cristiano Ronaldo is a great champion. Okay. What's a nice? great champion on and off the field. Where's the leadership from? Anyone other than Blaise Matuidi or anyone that hasn't got skin in the game.
1: I think Jürgen Klopp said something about what he would do in a situation now if this kind of abuse was happening to one of his players, and he said I'd take him off the pitch. I think I,
0: I think he said that a couple of weeks ago. He has made a statement. I have to check something
1: it, yeah. like that. I'm, I haven't got it in front of me, no so whatsoever. forgive me if I'm wrong. But that is the level that we have to go to. You yeah. have to be prepared as a manager, and this is what Gareth Southgate nailed again and again. I don't want to turn this into a praising a white guy situation because it's not. But it's about but, someone but, taking responsibility. But he, he yeah. you know. Yeah. He said that he he wish he needs to do better, and he wishes he maybe did better, and he needs to protect his players. So, if you're a manager of a football team, you have a 19 year old young man who is getting singled out and abused for an entire football game. How has it taken that long? Exactly. Put, take your players off the pitch. They could pay a fine. They can afford to get a they're points well deduction. They're well clear. They're well clear. Yeah, they can afford well, to yeah. get a points deduction. But this is bigger than that.
0: It's much bigger.
1: And the, and the, the shock waves that that level of solidarity would send through football, you'd, it'd be one of those moments that you'd maybe look in 30 years' time when hopefully, and I know this sounds so naive and wishy-washy, but hopefully, well, not even that long away, but when this isn't a problem anymore, right? And you, yeah. and you can look back and you can say, for example, Max Allegri took his players off the football pitch when this happened and this kick-started a whole chain of events that eventually led to... Because
0: it would. Yeah, because it would. It has to happen. And you know, what? I really hope that Allegri and Benucci are disgusted with themselves, because you have black players that have sweated for you, that have won titles for you, that have won titles for that club. Great black players have come through Juventus and honoured that club. And they've been better at that club than that club's been to them. And I find that absolutely disgusting. And this isn't just, and let me highlight this as well we had a lot of comments about oh eastern european oh they're unusually racist montenegro listen this stuff happened at stanford bridge
1: happens everywhere
0: at a whole st- yeah happens everywhere happens at stanford bridge You're having um, people being...
1: No club is immune, by the way. Listen, listen. Like we've said before.
0: Let's be real. We have... uh, Someone tweeted um, a couple of days ago about Muslim women receiving Nazi salutes in Shoreditch. These are the times you're in. No one is immune from this, right? And the fact is, these are sporting institutions with an opportunity to bring about real positive change. And the fact they are ducking it makes them cowards. And I call they are cowards. And if Manchester United do this, if they've got the same scandal and they handle it similarly, I'll call them cowards too, Right. This is about taking responsibility because, you know, what I love about what Southgate did was he said, I don't feel I can broach this, but he yeah. still went there and we need all of you. And this is for people listening to me. that might be like, well, Moose, you take a stand and other things. Listen, if it comes to women's issues or trans issues, whatever, there's always more that I can do and I should do and I will do. And I pledge to do that. And these clubs need to pledge to do that because we can't waste time on this
1: I think this is one of the things that like I think is really key to point out is that no one is expecting you to have all the answers and be like this is how you deal with racism like middle-aged straight white guy this is how you deal with racism guys I'm going to sort it no like no one is expecting that but the thing that we have to do and how many times have we had this conversation where I've spoke to you about certain things your experience as a black man black bisexual man Right. right and is very very different on a daily basis to my experience as a straight white guy. I know that I will never realise the enormity of those differences because I won't have to ever deal with that day to day. But what I can do is ask you and listen to you. And it's not your position. You shouldn't have to educate people about it. But right. what I'm saying is you have to, if you are not part of that group that is getting targeted, you have to listen to what they are telling you.
0: Exactly that. Exactly. And that goes for me with women or you know, trans people, issues that I don't or experience every day. And here's the key point about it. And this comes back to South again. We can call it the Southgate Principle. The Gareth Southgate Principle. There, I'm going to name it. This is the Gareth Southgate Principle of anti racism. You do not have to get it in order to act. You do not have to feel what it is to be oppressed as a black person in order to act against racism. I mean, maybe, yeah, I
1: mean, we use that in in the very recent kind of examples of the men's game. I think the thing that's so encouraging about the women's game, for example, is that there is this. It's much more open about there's this, an act, and it's far an less tolerant. It's far less tolerant of anything like this. Megan and
0: Rapinoe went straight in. There's an yeah. activism
1: there, and, the, and this yeah. is again yet another example of where men's football must. It's got to learn from the women. Well, can team. I then
0: throw in a plug for my for my team, women's uh, Wolfsburg women's team? We've got an ultra the, over here. Listen, I'm an ultra. Listen, we got to the <laughs> Pokal Cup final. We're coming for you. Yeah. Sorry,
1: <laughs> sorry. To, I mean, like we've we've kind of gone on quite a bit about this, but It had to be said, and, it had you know, to be maybe. Said. Just on a purely human level, like right. I just think it's I just think it's, it's a real shame that this still happens. Yeah. And I think I hope, it's a shame. It's like I hope this, is this is the last podcast you record on it's this. It's inexcusable that it ever happened. Yeah. Has ever happened. But I think um it's never gone away. Yeah. However, I do feel that a lot of the current political climate has normalized such wild discourse to a degree that This isn't on the margins anymore. And it's people who feel really emboldened in order to say stuff like this and get away with it because so much of the discourse that is happening at political level by the people who are supposed to be leading our countries isn't really that far off. And it just, it just sucks to be honest. It's horrific.
0: And I hope we are not here again in a few months. And I'm not even going to sit here and go, oh, what should Juventus do? What should UEFA do? Look, no, actually how about some other people think up some solutions for once because we've been writing about these and talking about these things for years look we are here and it's a beautiful day in berlin uh it's approaching midday there's great things going on and we're talking about this this is a football podcast right where we we love the beautiful game and this is what it's reduced us to and people need to hear that so i think we should uh, go for a break get some coffee and uh, talk some football talk about the fun football yeah see you guys after the break
1: Right, we're back from the break and after having a look at the very, very bad, should we have a look at the very, very good? It's been a great week for football. It has. Well, the the actual...
0: Yeah, the actual stuff. Kicking the ball. Yeah, kicking the ball.
1: Some incredible games this week, starting with... Well, I chatted to Sid. He was on his way to West Celta Vigo, which was a a great game in La Liga. But We were talking about Villarreal Barcelona, which is, I think, one of my games of the season.
0: Or any season.
1: (laughs) So good. But we'll leave that with Sid. Yeah, of course. There was also an incredible German Cup game between Bayern and Heidenheim. Wild. Which actually, I was on the Ringer FC podcast. I chatted to Donny about the Classica this weekend because now Michael was originally going to go, but now he has to go to London. So...
0: I'm going. You're going to watch cool. Bayern Dortmund. Yeah, I'm very jealous of that. I haven't talked about this, but I'm extremely jealous. I
1: know, I'm really excited. Although I had to book like an overnight train coming back <laughs> because it was like, there's no other way to get back to Berlin.
0: But to be honest, the euphoria, you'll you will want to sleep that
1: off. Yeah, hoping to maybe grab a couple of people who are there and record some stuff for the podcast on Monday, which would be good. But yeah, it's probably the biggest classica since the Champions League final.
0: Yeah, that's a fair shout.
1: Anyway, we'll cover that on Monday. But um, Bayern, Have not had great preparation for it. No, not They had a German Cup game against Heidenheim, who are sixth in the second division. (laughs) Went 1-0 up. And you thought, right, this is easy going. And then Nicolas Zula got sent off after 13, 14 minutes. So Bayern had to play the rest of the game with 10 men. Incredible. Heidenheim ended up going into the break 2-1 up. And then Bayern brought on Lewandowski and Kingsley Coman. They hooked uh, Frank Ribéry after the red card to bring on Jerome Boateng, where they were resting. Resting. Ribéry didn't look happy. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) And yeah, it ended up going 4-2 up. And you thought, 25 minutes to go, Bayern 4-2. This is in the bag. Somehow, it ended up 4-4. And then at 4-4, Heidenheim had a break. And they were three on two. And they fluffed it up. And you
0: thought... Because Bayern will punish you for that. (laughs) <laughs> but I got a penalty for handball
1: and won the game 5-4 but that is not the best preparation for a classica uh, have, you know Dortmund have been resting all week yeah We've got Marco Royce back they've lost Hakimi for the rest of the season though That's he came he was on was as a substitute against Wolfsburg and then fractured a metatarsal so he's out for the rest of the season he was Ross- having a great season yeah I mean luckily he's on a two year loan so they've got him definitely for next season Christian Pulisic is out he's got a thigh problem that he picked up on international duty
0: so the scary thing is Pulisic being out is not even that big a loss for them
1: yeah I mean it's just good to he's have an option yeah, like yeah, a he's bit a great of, yeah I mean he's a great player but yes, yeah, so that was a great game what else was there Do you watch any what did you watch this week are we going to talk about Wolves Man United
0: what was that was that this week have they played didn't they play in the cup oh
1: yeah well it was basically the same Wolves, you know, basically what, the
0: same what happened Wolves? I don't no I don't Don't. Recall, sorry I don't as Mariah Carey Actually, said, I need to as Mariah Carey said I don't know her <laughs> <laughs> I don't know
1: her. <laughs> Actually, I need to recap on the predictions. Yeah, I'll go through that. Actually, I'm going to put them into some kind of like a spreadsheet. You're right
0: so far. I'm wrong on that. No, both, I, think I, right. I think I predicted that Palace would pick up a point. At I Spurs. thought Palace would get a draw at Spurs. I can't lie because they're so good away from home.
1: Yeah. I mean, anyway, we're kind of. Uh, Arsenal beat Newcastle. Good win for Arsenal. Yeah. There's a great bit of commentary on that from Dazone in Germany yes. when Lacazette scored his second. If you haven't checked it, I posted a video of it on on Twitter at Rai. But it basically when Lacazette scored the second, the German commentator <laughs> rocked out the lyric from Bad Boys. It's incredible. <laughs> but it's so funny in a German accent. <laughs> I love it. And actually shout out to Andrew Mangan at Blog because I sent him the clip and they included it on the intro to the Cast Extra on Monday. So
0: good. Which is So cool. good.
1: But um, should we maybe get Sid to talk about Villarreal Barcelona?
0: Get the man himself.
1: Okay, I'm delighted to welcome back to the Robona podcast. Well, first time for this season since the World Cup, Mr. Sid Lowe. Sid, cheers for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, I know you're on the move, so we'll keep it short. We wanted to touch on, in my opinion, one of the games of the season on Tuesday night, Villarreal against Barcelona at the Ceramica. An amazing game for all and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it because Barcelona rested uh, Messi, Piquet and Rakitic and I think they expected it not to be a breeze but to kind of cruise through and it was kind of anything but really.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I mean obviously the, the context to it is the fact that they play uh, Atletico Madrid at the weekend, Atletico realistically the only team that could potentially take the league title off them at the moment and so, so there was a sense of, of preparing for that and of course preparing for Manchester United in the Champions League, mm-hmm. uh, Gerald PK had played every minute this season. Rakitic has been overused, Messi has been overused in so much as you know you look at their 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 physical condition and, and certainly in messi's case he's had, he's had problems with his groin um, so so I think it was the right thing to do I mean and certainly when you when you look at it it was a it was a rational and logical thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is of course that they missed them enormously and yet weirdly they were in a position where the, where they might not have missed them you know two two goals up after 15 minutes even though it is true that at that point Villarreal have already had a couple of very clear chances that that Ter Stegen saved but they're two nil up uh, they hit the post that could have made it 3-0 they had another chance i think it was on Titi to make it 3-0 obviously those two go in and you think well it's it's 4 now and it's done mm. and of course i think they probably thought it was done which was part of the reason perhaps why it wasn't and uh, and and fundamentally i suppose what we're left with is a game that was an enormously enjoyable, a huge amount of fun more than anything else. It
1: was a really, really fun game, wasn't it? What do you think about the second one? For people who don't know, it was basically uh, a can be down yeah. the right, tostegan Stegen comes out Looks like he's across but he the Yeah, mean oh yeah, he's
2: he's running up the right wing, isn't he? And and, and as he as he starts to turn towards goal, still a long way out and still very much kind of horizontal with the goal, I, I think Terstegan very clearly thinks he's gonna cross it, takes a step out towards the player running in into the six yard box. And at that point, um I think he does it deliberately, but but it's very, very difficult to tell. He puts it between Ter Stegen and the near post. And actually when you see the replay it's very interesting because when you see the replay, Ter Stegen's not even in the shot. I mean, yeah. he, he is step he has stepped that far out, so convinced is he that there's going to be a cross. Instead, uh, it can be with the outside of his foot puts it in again. As I say, there's a chance that he didn't mean it, but I I think, and certainly would like to think that he did.
1: Yeah, I think we. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt just to see a keeper gamble, and it, it's rarely that that happens.
2: And be so far out of place, and and then and then when the ball went in, there was this sort of. I think there was a sort of a sense of shock all around the grounds. Like he's actually done that <laughs> you know you, in, 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 you know and as you say I mean it's it's uh it would be bizarre enough to even try but then to actually pull it off is is quite something I suppose the fact that it would be bizarre enough even to try is maybe one of the reasons why there's a small doubt about whether or not he might not have done
1: yeah uh, I'm, I'm going to give it to him why not uh, so fast forward a little bit VRL eventually ended Ended up 4-2 up Ebora got the third was a lovely goal and the fourth, I think, was probably one of my favourite goals I've seen this season. Actually, counter attacking goal from Villarreal, and another wonderful pass from Santi Cazorla for an assist.
2: Yeah, I was looking at the stats last night, and um, I mean, I must, I must confess, I'm not entirely sure how you how you define these things, and, and I'm sure there are people who can tell us very clearly, and that I'm just a fool <laughs> for not having looked it up. How you define key pass? Um, but uh, Cazorla last night provided eight key passes. Now, as, as I as I understand it, that means eight times he created chances for people, mm. uh, which which is extraordinary to got two actual assists because of course for it to be an assist you need someone to finish it off as well it's not enough for you to do your job they've actually got to i thought that in a way almost the best bit about this was the little quick one two that he exchanged at the very start of the move cathola which took him away from that little bit of pressure and then enabled him to play what was i think for for Cathola at least, a relatively simple pass mm. through the gap, perfectly weighted and, 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 and beautifully placed, but a relatively simple pass through the gap for, for, for Um but, but it's more that that came in the context of a performance in which I thought Cathola as he was indeed when they played Real Madrid at home, was absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah, I mean, I find it incredible that he's been able to, let alone reach the level that he's played at this season, but also maintain it.
2: Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think one of the things that was interesting last night about him, and, and actually I think has been the case in, in, in virtually all the games I've seen him play this season, which is obviously because, like you, I I have a very large soft spot for Santa <laughs> catola, So I watch him whenever I, whenever I possibly can. is It's not just the quality of his play, which we anticipate. It's, it's that he looks agile. Yeah. He looks quick. He doesn't look like a player that is playing for an injury. Now, I must admit, I anticipated... And, and you know I say this as someone who went to watch him play in pre-season in, 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 in southern France and went to watch him play for Villar in pre-season in one of these classic games where 25 players play and you get 20 minutes each yeah. and and at that stage I thought well they're going to sign him but he's not going to be right this isn't going to work mm. or at least I thought if it works it will be because he adapts his game and we'll see a passing footballer but we won't see the 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 energy and the movement that we used to see with Cathola and actually we are seeing all of that as well we're not just seeing the passing ability and the vision
1: yeah definitely I mean, there's a thing, this is a little bit off topic, but um, I put a thing up of um, some cazola highlights over a bit better music on Twitter. And one of the things that blew my mind about it was actually how much time Santi Cazola spends on all fours on a football pitch.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, 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 it's extraordinary. He, he has this ability to kind of scramble back up again, doesn't he? Yeah. He'll sort of get, knocked, sort of get no, not necessarily knocked down, but sort of pushed, pushed aside or bundled to the floor. And he'll get back up and come away with the ball. And, 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 and obviously as well, when you say on all fours, In the case of Cathola, I suppose it's even more significant because this is a player who's genuinely (laughs) two-footed. So two two of those four actually matter.
1: Yeah, exactly. But um, anyway, back to the game. And there was a red card for Alvaro for Villarreal uh, with five Mm. minutes to go, which even being 4-2 up, at this point, Rakitic and Messi were on the pitch. And Mm. it definitely felt like a turning point.
2: Yeah, I mean, curiously enough, uh, once Messi was on the pitch, there was a little bit of me. I'm going to say something that sounds absolutely absurd here. There was a little bit of me that thought that Barcelona momentarily got worse because i think i think one of the things that happens with messi and obviously this is a problem for the argentinian national team and it's it's potentially even occasionally a problem for barcelona although although clearly <laughs> less so is that one of the things that happens when messi gets on the pitch is that as soon as everyone else gets the ball they just give it to him even even when it's not the right time to do it even and, and so that draws the defenders in and it, it denies them a little bit of space and barcelona I thought got very very narrow after he came on and bear in mind he comes on at 2-2 so, you know, they do concede those two goals with Messi on the pitch. Yeah. And and I must admit, I thought it had gone. Uh, and then when the red card came, I just kind of thought, well, it's so late that it's still not going to be the thing. Um, and it wasn't really until Messi got that free kick. And because that, I mean, that largely came out of nothing. But as usual, one of the things that I think it's worth remembering here about Messi is all these free kicks he scored. I'd be willing to bet the six free kicks he scored in La Liga this year, I'd be willing to bet that at least five of the six, it's him that's fouled. Yeah. It's him that's running around, running into the edge of the area and getting brought down for the free kick to even happen. So in that sense, I suppose it's yet another pre-assist from Messi yeah. for his own goal, which which happens time and time again. Um, but when the card happened, I just kind of thought, well, it's so late. And Barcelona have become, over the last 15, 20 minutes um, before that card, I thought they'd become narrow and looking really like it wasn't going to happen. And despite the fact that Rakitic was on the pitch and Messi was on the pitch, I still sort of felt, well, it's gone and there's, they've... I don't know if I would go so far as to say they've accepted it, but I think it felt like that—that that was a reality now. Um, and what was what really struck me, I suppose, in a way about the the Alvaro um, red card, more than anything else, was was the way that he complained about it when there was absolutely yeah. nothing he could possibly complain about. I
1: mean, you watch a, you watch a huge amount of Luis Suarez, and it became apparent a few seconds before it was like he's going to go through the back of him.
2: Yes, you and, could see it coming. Absolutely. And, and you could, it was reckless. I uh, mean, not reckless in the sense of dangerous, but reckless in the sense that there was no thought to it. It was daft. It was completely unnecessary. Yeah. And
1: them. I think the thing about the red card was it seemed to give them a little bit of a catalyst maybe, to actually, this, it, is, yeah, off, this that, is on. Just,
2: well, hang on a minute. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's worth giving this a go now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> should we talk about the free kick?
2: Yes. Um, I mean, it's absurd isn't it well, i mean what can we <laughs> I mean, what
1: else can we really say about a well, messy free well, kick one of
2: the things you can say and someone said this at the weekend and i think it's more applicable even even in this game it's just you know it's it's you know how we we refer to corners in in hockey as penalty corners yeah well with Messi, they're penalty free kicks <laughs> yeah. um and and you know the weekend that was said about him and, and last night last night um javier calleja the manager of villarreal said after the game you know Messi got a free kick that for him is like a penalty Mm. and I think it was probably best defined and it's very difficult for me to find the perfect translation for this but I think it's quite nicely defined by by what Valverde said after the game and he said he said well Messi got this free kick and and the The phrase he used was "lo ajusto tanto, which basically means he 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 he, he pushed it to the very limits. He made it so precise, you yeah. know. He, he said, "He said lo ajusto tanto so, You know, he he saw the tiniest gap. He went, right, I'm going to go for that. I'm not going to play a little bit safe and put a little bit further inside the post. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make it as precise as I possibly can. And he said, and then he start He actually started laughing, Valverde, when he said this. He said, "He said, well, no. in the end, he, you know, he 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 ajustado he, he he made it precise." Muchissimo, and he just sort of, sort of starts laughing. So, you know, like, what are you supposed to say to this? And, and it, he hits it incredibly hard. Now, there is a suggestion, I must confess, I haven't seen a replay now that, that, that bears this out. There's a suggestion that there's a player in the wall who ducks, uh, which is Bonera, which perhaps allows Messi to, to, to make it that bit more precise. Um, but I saw another a set of photos I saw today, which is lovely. There's a set of photos of Messi free kicks of, of, of the wall with players lying down. on the wall so as we saw again in the game at the weekend when he scored the free kick that was that was you know kind of headed into his own net by the defender but Mm. it was kind of going in anyway we've now got Messi taking free kicks where players are lying down behind the wall because they're worried he's going to put it under the wall we're seeing Messi take free kicks where one of the players in the wall breaks from the wall and runs back to his own goal line because he's worried that Messi's going to dink it at the near post we've got goalkeepers who are standing all the way over to one side because they're worried about Messi going into that corner. And we've got a goalkeeper like yesterday, for example, Sergio Senjo, going to that side, knowing Messi is going there, or at least knowing that's the most likely place for him. And Messi's still hitting it so, well, to use Valverde's phrase, ajustados, so ajustados, so precise, so hard as well, that even a goalie in the right place can't get there. And then again, as I say, to rewind this and say, well, it looked like Boneta might have ducked. Well, if he did... It might not have been a bad idea because it was hit hard enough that it would have probably broken his nose and hit him in the face.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's an amazing replay from behind Messi, and it is literally the only gap because yes. he, and and the pace that he hits it at means that um you know I his 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 hand gets up. Literally just after. It's not because it's yes. you often see a lot of people in that in that position try and dink it over the wall like Messi did at the weekend. And I'm wondering actually whether he's taken that into account where he's he's thought actually they've seen me dink one over the wall on the weekend, so I'm just gonna absolutely I don't, I don't
2: think I don't mean there's any doubt that, that as I say I mean, that, that series of different types of free kicks the dink the under the wall the round the wall one side the round the wall to the other side um, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt at all that Messi has thought about his free kicks and just as importantly he knows that opponents have thought about them as well mm. so he's having to put the variety into it all the time and, and as I say we're in a bizarre situation now where we've got players lying down behind the wall yeah. you know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's extraordinary I mean it, yeah. it, it, it really is extraordinary and Sergio Sancho was quite clear on this last night he was asked about it as as if to say you know is it the question kind of implicitly was saying should you have done a bit more and he uses the phrase it's a thousandth of a second yeah. You know, you, you, if you don't get if you don't get the reaction absolutely right, and I I don't know about you, but you know, I I understand that there's there's a, there's a need to analyse, there's a need to question defending, and, and of course last night some of the defending was dreadful, but there's a little bit of me as well that Phil thinks you bunch of killjoys. Yeah, let's uh, let's celebrate the fun rather than whinge about slightly done wrong. You know. Yeah,
1: sometimes you just got to go, pal Lopez on it, and just you know the, the yeah, exactly. puff out it's the puff like out the chip, cheeks it, after the chip. It, it's it's just like, what do you want me to do? Like, absolutely, um, absolutely right. Um, and then obviously Barca went on to equalise with uh, another... I mean, I've seen the replay of this Suarez goal a few times now and there's, I think it goes through... Alfonso Pedraz's
2: legs. I, th- I think it might well be. It's, and It's hit so cleanly, isn't again, it? Just on about so cleanly.
1: Again, a, a fraction of an inch either side and that doesn't yeah. go in. It's such yeah. a tiny, tiny margin. But um, if you'd asked Villarreal before the game, would they take a point? Undoubtedly, they would have oh,
2: done. 100%. But, that, but it's the way it happened, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> so this is the thing. There's a, there's a nice line from Calleja off the game. He said, look, a point against Barcelona is good, but, and there's this, is kind, of, you know, mm. this is kind of audible dot, 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 you know, as, as, as there was with so many of the answers last night the, the, of the various players and, and, and the managers talking about things, that there were a lot of sentences that went unfinished last night because they were still in that moment post-game where they're thinking, I, I don't really know how to explain this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it took me a while to close my mouth after the final whistle anyway, yeah. so God knows <laughs> what it would have been like playing or managing in it, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, a few, right. few quick things before we let you go. I just wanted to touch on a couple of people who were involved last night. First two are Malcolm and Coutinho. I don't know what you thought, but personally, I... Thought it was, I thought Katina was good. Um, he I seemed... thought
2: Coutinho was very good for 25 minutes. Yeah. It's true, the game drifted away from it, But I thought the start of his game was very good indeed.
1: Yeah, and I thought Malcolm was has been very impressive last few games as he started to get more game time. I'm a fan of Malcolm. I was a fan of Malcolm before he signed. And I wanted to see what you thought about his progression mm-hmm. this season since he started playing more.
2: Well, I mean, I, I said something in the weekend. Um, I, I, I think he's someone who probably deserves more opportunities. And, you know, after 15 minutes, he's provided one assist and he, and he scored the other himself. I thought the start was really, really good. I think there is a... a there is a slight resistance to him in 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 Barcelona, in, you know. I mean, amongst fans and critics, that sort of they look at him and think, "Well, he's just not that good." But I think sometimes you can have players that are maybe talented, not talent wise, not quite as good as others, but who give you something different. Mm. There's a speed and a directness about him that I that I quite like. I think he uses the ball reasonably well. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not the technical virtuoso that that, that quite a lot of the others are. But but I, I think he can be useful. And I'm never ever going to claim that you know this is a guy that must start for Barcelona. But I think he can be useful. And I, I think it's clearly been quite difficult. for For him this season, and and I thought his start yesterday was was very good indeed. And actually, while he hasn't always played brilliant this year, he's tended to contribute.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people also underestimate how intimidating going into Barcelona can be. Definitely, you only have
2: to look at the moment last night when Suarez gave him a mouthful. Yeah, just think, you know what? I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of Luis Suarez giving me giving me quite a lot of jip And yeah, yeah, I think it probably can be quite intimidating. Yeah,
1: quickly before you go, one last guy I want to ask you about is Javier Caeiro, who returned back to Real, and there was a f- there's been a few managers this season that have rejoined <laughs> within the same season which is weird 12 points now since he's come back I wanted to see if you had an idea of what the mood is like around Real now
2: right so the mood the mood is um one of enormous concern Because, and in a way, last night summed it up very nicely. There's an awareness they've got talent. There's an awareness that they can make things happen. But there is a very, very clear awareness, um, you know, even more clear perhaps of that awareness that they're vulnerable. Mm. That it doesn't take much to hurt them. I mean, yes, they genuinely, in that first 20 minutes, they were abysmal. Through the middle of the through the middle of the pitch and at the back, um, I think you watch the Celta game at the weekend. A 2-0 up and they let that lead slip. They've let a two goal lead slip again. This time, albeit it's different because they they were were two down and kind of came back to lead. But I think I, I think there's a I think there's genuine pessimism. Uh, okay. at, at Villarreal now there's, there is a sense that yes we've got the talent to come through this but there is genuine pessimism and there's pessimism for the fact that they're, that they're so vulnerable there's also pessimism because they, you've got to look at the teams around you when you get into this scenario and Villarreal mm-hmm. players are looking at this um, mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, very, very well aware, for example, that, and, and I don't want to individualize it, but I think it's absolutely true in this particular case. Very well aware that things will improve at Celta with the return of uh, Iago Aspas. Yeah. And I think they look at the return of Paco Hemet at Rayo Vallecano, and I think they think, well, This is a team that's about to improve as well, and and of course, you know it's not just about being good enough to stay up yourself. It's about looking around and saying, "Well, who can we catch?" Mm. Um, And and you know, Viadley have had a couple of uh, of late winners recently that have that have put them in a position which which worries me around. So yeah, they're 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 enormously concerned. There is there is a fear that they're going to go down. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I personally hope they do stay up, but I mean, there's a lot of teams down that end of the table that I wouldn't want to see go down. So that's right,
2: isn't it? You look at the bottom of the table and you think, "Well, I want them to survive. I want them to survive. I want them to survive." And then you go. Hang on a minute, there's no one left that I don't really
1: want not to survive. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about the Liga, isn't it? Sid, thanks so much for joining us. I know you're on the move. So, uh, yeah, enjoy uh, Huesca Celta tonight. I certainly try, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, hopefully catch you soon. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, Sid. Bye. (laughs) Thanks to Sid, as ever. He, was, he did that when he was on his way to another. He just got off a train.
0: Listen, that's the one of the hardest working men in showbiz. That man is a professional. True we problem. are very much amateurs. <laughs> real talk, real talk. That is the real talk. Well, you're a right? professional. I'm not. Oh, come on. I'm a semi-pro. There's still loads out there really doing it. Could have played professional. Knee injury. <laughs> <laughs> on trial at Wigan. Yeah, been yeah I was, was been on mate. trial. Yeah, trials when I was younger. I got scouted from 99. I was actually speaking to a, an ex-player a few years ago about someone who been on trial. And he rolled his eye. He said, you know what? The amount of people who've been on trial. Everyone's been on trial. I know, right, right, right. We've all been on trial. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, aren't we always on trial? Isn't this, in this, sorry. it got a metaphysical there. Sorry. I thought we'd done the heavy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have done it. We have done it.
1: Do you want to do some questions before we speak to Joe, actually? Yeah, why not? Because we're going to speak to Joe about um, Spurs' new stadium. They play Crystal Palace on Wednesday.
0: Yeah. Let's do some quick First questions. Let's have, let's have a
1: look. This is from Davishish. Davishish69 on Twitter. Sounds like a little bit of fishing. Really? yeah. What's it saying? Is Messi the best ever free kick taker now? I mean, we kind of covered that a little bit with Sid when Sid was talking about how good his free kicks were. But Uh, what do you think? No,
0: no, because he hasn't. Look, I mean, you can only assess that at the end of his his career. I think that he's certainly risen to the category of one of the best ever to take free kicks, which is pretty remarkable given that he wasn't that good at free kicks early in his career. and He wasn't taking them, yeah. Actually, funnily enough, I think, you know, David Beckham is in that category. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thierry Henry towards the end of his time was very, very good. But I would say the reason why Beckham, Ronald Koeman and Leo Messi and maybe one or two others, Janino uh, Panambucano. the reason I mentioned those four is because they were the very few group of players who you looked at and were like, there's actually a conversion percentage on these. There's actually a reason, you know what I mean? When you look, you know, there was a point when Tiger Woods was playing golf tournaments where he had a percentage, a winning percentage. Mm. And most golfers win one, two, it's a season, it's a good season. And Messi right now has what very, very few free kick takers before him and after him will ever have. He has a free kick percentage. Expectation.
1: And like Sid said, like the variation now, that's the thing. Because a lot of really good free kick takers have their style. Whereas you've seen in the last week, Messi did the, the kind of semi-penenka over the we wall. It wasn't I, really quite I, a I call it the, but, the
0: butterfly effect.
1: I call it a dink.
0: A dink. It's a little dink no, over I it, the wall. I call it a butterfly. The butterfly. I can imagine it landing on the crossbar and just sort of like, you know, sprouting legs and just sitting there like a bird. I can imagine <laughs> it was so gentle. Yeah, oh Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so he did the, the little dink over the wall yeah. and then... The one, like we spoke, like I spoke with Sid about, you know, the drive into the the far corner. Do you know
0: what's crazy about the drive? It's because he hits it without much movement. So he's basically identified a clear line to goal.
1: Yeah, it's the only place he could put it. Yeah,
0: and that's pretty remarkable in itself because Mm. there are not many, many footballers. I mentioned actually before Giannino Panambecano, he had a variety of free kicks. Mm. And I still think my my favourite free kick of all time is possibly still the one against Oliver Kahn that he hit at the um, Olympic Stadium when he was playing for Lyon. Because Oliver Kahn saw it coming from 35 yards away and it went up and across and he couldn't get yeah. anywhere near it. Couldn't do it. And I think at that point, it was probably the best shot stopper in the world.
1: Yeah. 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 That's a good point. We've got another question from Jacob McKenzie. He said, Weird question.
0: Oh, my favorite question. I quote.
1: like questions at the start like that. Like, Weird question. What are your thoughts on mentality and leadership in the game? Do you think the sort of leadership brought by Terry, Drogba, Gerard, Poyle, company, etc., is becoming a lost art? Who do you think might be the next generation of leaders? quite an interesting
0: question. It's a lovely question. I don't think leadership is a problem. I think it takes different forms. So weirdly, actually, one of the people I think is one of the greatest leaders of modern football, and some might disagree, is actually Neymar. You look at Neymar in, yeah, Neymar, the World Cup 2014. If you want to look at an example of sustained leadership, because actually Thiago Silva was the captain of that tournament. I was, I was at that World Cup and you go down to the beach and every shirt that had a name on it was Neymar's. I didn't Mm. see a single other shirt. They were all like Neymar 10, Neymar 10, Neymar 10, all of them. He carried all that pressure and if you look at that World Cup group stage, he was the one that scored the opening goal of the tournament for his team. He demanded possession. He scored the winning penalty in the shootout against Chile at a time when Chile were playing out of their minds. He demanded the ball and for me, leadership is fundamental to football but it's defined by one simple thing, wanting the ball when the game is in balance. And that quality, I think, will never, ever, never die or be lacking in, in, the, in the modern footballer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think maybe the type of, like, as football has evolved, I think the leadership on the pitch has evolved. So, for example, Absolutely. you look back at the 70s and 80s where maybe the overall base technical level wasn't as good as it is now, maybe, mean right. it's fair to say? Or, or athleticism or fitness, and yeah. the margins were a little bit wider. I think having, you know, like a kind of a a Tony Adams style captain that was a real kind of leadership it was like blood and thunder and mm. like come on you know but let's get let's let's get out of them lads you know kind of thing whereas I think now you can still have that but be extremely limited as a player yeah. and then you can't contribute so I think it's more like you said it's more com, coming at it from a contribution standpoint
0: Bernardo Silva against Liverpool the greatest act of leadership I've seen this season in terms of taking responsibility yeah. just unbelievable yeah definitely it's a great question because also the examples of leaders that were named, they're quite sort of I not not it's not of course a critique of the person asked the question was it Jacob, um, not a critique of Jacob, but it's funny how we characterise leadership. You know, it's a certain type of there's a sort of a ruggedness to it. But actually, one of the greatest leaders of modern times in football is, is actually David Beckham, and I say that because you look at Sir Alex Ferguson's autobiography. This is a guy who fell out with Beckham. But the sentence, there's a sentence in his autobiography. He says, "When the chips are down, David Beckham is not found wanting." Mm. This is after selling him because he believes he's lost his focus on the game, right? And they've had this public clash. But Sir Alex Ferguson, I think that was the greatest compliment he gave, and he'd fallen out with Keane as well. So that's a slight thing. But if you look at David Beckham's career, actually, very few occasions where, even when he missed, you know, penalties, or whatever, he still said, "I want to get involved." Yeah, and that's the thing. There's a great comment on leadership, um, and I. I've got to mention Iniesta because I'm obsessed with him. Leo Messi in the book um, is either Iniesta being an artist or when Messi's being interviewed about him. And he says, in close games, I always want Andres near me. I always want him nearby because he knows that he will offer. That to me was really profound in terms of, if you look at Iniesta's entire career, when the crescendo, when the match is at crescendo, he's always offering.
1: It's like you're on a podcast, man.
0: <laughs> you know, I had to do
1: my first guest appearance on the Ringer podcast, and it was like, I felt a little bit lost. I was like looking across the table and I was like, Musa.
0: Where's, where's Musa? Musa? Where's Musa? <laughs> I just want Musa there." Welcome the to Welcome to my <laughs> world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you're the Andres in and the Esther
0: podcast. Oh, my God. There you go. I, I'm, I know, I'm actually uh, nearly bursting into oh. tears. It's so oh, emotional.
1: dude. Um, let's get Joe on the phone.
0: Yep, let's do it. We're joined now by a very special guest, Joe Tung, the director of Women in Football and of Tongue Tide, who was at the game, who was uh, for Spurs' first game in the new stadium. Joe, how was it?
3: Well, I feel like I'm on a bit of an adrenaline come down, if I'm honest. I was (laughs) really nervous um, beforehand, genuinely, because I literally haven't visited Tottenham or White Hart Lane area since we left almost two years ago. 689 days i think to be precise so um i literally when i came out of white hot lane station last night i sort of gasped because i genuinely haven't seen i haven't seen it i've seen photos obviously i just hadn't physically i just hadn't really prepared myself for the, the impact of it it's i mean it's unbelievable and i know everyone says oh it's like this spaceship has just landed it genuinely is like a spaceship has just landed like the kebab shop and the nail shop and the news agents are still there on the right hand side of the high road and then on the left there's this crazy kind of thing I mean it's it's so impressive um and I was so I was a little bit taken aback and then um yeah when I walked in I just got quite emotional um and it felt like when I first first went to Spurs you know I was a kind of six-year-old and I remember walking up you know what it's like when you come up the steps and you just sort of peer over and you see a little bit of the grass and then it just opens this sort of vast expanse in front of you. But obviously when you're six years old, White Hot Lane felt massive and I felt again last night when I got there, I, I kind of walked up and I'm in that big, um, the wall, as they call it, but the you know, the south stand. Yeah. And I, I came up over the edge and I genuinely, because it's so big, I felt like I was that six-year-old girl again. So I did get a <laughs> bit emotional. But yeah, so today I feel I feel a little bit drained, if I'm honest.
1: Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, Joe, was that how good did it feel being back there after going compared to Wembley?
3: Oh, it was the dream. So I loved Wembley, the old Wembley. The right. new Wembley, I just don't feel it has no heart for me. It has no soul. Whereas the good thing about Tottenham is it still has heart and soul. Like you walk, we walked down to Seven Sisters. I came, I came into our island station, but obviously getting out, we walked down to Seven Sisters and the high road is still just the high road. And you know, whether you love it or loathe it, it's such an amazing little high street. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great, yeah, you know, it's just characterful, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it was, it was a dream. Now, I know, I mean, you'll, you'll probably have seen as well, everyone was moaning about the transport and getting home. And don't get me wrong, it was a nightmare getting home. Yeah. Um, and I'm not quite sure what we're going to do about that. But I was talking to some people about it on the way home, and everyone says Old oh, Tottenham's such a nightmare to get to. But look at Old Trafford. Old Trafford doesn't have a station. Old Trafford has one tram stop. So how do they manage
1: it? Yeah. I mean that's a, getting to Old Trafford is a nightmare.
0: Can I say though Ryan, I don't want, I don't want to throw this in. The one of the most controversial things I saw about the Spurs stadium one of the things I thought was really mm. was the choice of menu match day menu. <laughs> And <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't want to incriminate anyone, Joe. But I Risa saw people tweeting about
3: tofu. <laughs> I kid you right. The two problems I right. The, okay, now we've done we've done the lovely stuff, and yes, it's a wonderful <laughs> evening. Right, let's get to the nitty gritty. Yes. The two issues I have with the whole evening: the menu. The first bar I went to the the food on offer there was a pie but they've run out of pies oh my goodness so by half time they'd run out of pies unacceptable so they then offered a uh, battered tofu which came with asian slaw and chips <laughs> now with the best will in the world <laughs> let's think about and this is in the south stands this is like your hardcore first. yeah i like to think of myself as quite uh you know open-minded i like my food no one wants battered tofu at football and then so then that was so okay so then we moved along and then i went to the you know there was this sort of quiet stand i was like oh that that place hasn't got much for q and it was serving victoria sponge and lemon drizzle cake with coffee Oh my God. Oh my God. Genuinely. It's Which like would be waitress. lovely if I was taking my mum for an afternoon tea yeah. or I was having I was sitting down at a table and it was four o'clock in the afternoon. But at seven PM on a Wednesday night, it's, Cla- it's clarage sponge. It's Claridge's. <laughs> <laughs> but the best thing was, the best thing was so by half time they had run out of most of the food in in that big stand. Yeah. And so the 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 queue for the cake stall was, you know, 20 deep. Of and course, people <laughs> became yeah, pragmatic,
0: pragmatic. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: the, I'm glad we covered the important
0: stuff. Listen, <laughs> I was like, I, I hate to say it, but when I heard that Joe anyway, was coming on, I was like, we have to ask about the tofu. I'm so glad you took it there. <laughs> uh,
3: well, I don't know what they're going to do about it because I genuinely would, would like to see the numbers. You know where they say, oh, we, we sold uh, 50,000 pints of beer and we sold two battered tofu and of course. chips and slaw. I genuinely would like to see those
0: stats.
1: <laughs> I've You, you know, can the, get
3: them for me. Move some
1: <laughs> I'll do some detective. The food inside. Honestly, I saw
3: this first press is. office would love to give us those stats. Do you
0: know? What I think it's funny about it though. In a, in a funny kind of way, it it just shows it's a work in progress, doesn't it? Because yeah. you've got this. Um, you know the stadium. Obviously, they'll have some sort of premium tickets and whatever. So they're trying to cater for different audiences, and there's a lot of trial and error. But what's really interesting about it is the feel of the ground, and that's the thing you mm. can't fake that. The yeah. way that the ground feels in terms of the fat, the match, experience, the closeness, the stadium, the atmosphere. The-
3: exactly, and I think that interesting. So the the big south stand, the wall, because that that's where I sit. So I, yeah. I can't tell you how it sounded from from the other sides of the ground. But when it was buzzing and when everyone was singing, it was great. But the right. problem was like you almost need. You need like the chanting corner or you need the leaders or you need that sort of group of um, whether it's a drum or almost it sounds awful, but like a sort of uh, a conductor yeah. who starts that and keeps that going. Because what happened is the first 10 minutes, everyone was all hyper and, you know, the so everyone was trying out the songs and kind of seeing how it all sounded and trying to get it going. And then there was sort of this lull. And I think because... Obviously, on the pitch, it was a bit frustrating, and we were having, you know, obviously a lot of possession and quite a lot of chances, and you could feel the goal was coming, but it just wasn't coming, and Palace wouldn't let us break them down, and so this sort of frustration crept in, and actually, that's a really big sand to be silent in. Yeah. Um. So it's, I, am you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but where you almost do need someone that kind of goes right, I'm gonna. Keep up this energy and keep up this momentum because it's it's almost worse when it's silent. Well, Joe, it's funny um, because there, there was this lull, and it, whether it was a bit of energy or a bit of a okay, right, we've done all the fun stuff and the fireworks have gone off and we've had the singing, right. Let's just focus on the pitch now. Oh, that's a bit frustrating. Oh, what do we do? Oh, oh. So yeah, but it, I mean, you know, look, we were when 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 the play was down our end, you know, we are that five meters away. I think it's five. Well, it's definitely five meters of White hot Lane. I think it's about the same. Yeah. Um, we, you're right on top of the pitch. You are you are right there. So. It has its benefits, but there's, there needs to be a kind of way of keeping up that energy just because it's one of the most recent games. So at Charlton in the North Stand, they have the drummer. yeah, And, you know, the Valley is, you know, they, their crowds are, are, are very, very low. But because that drummer is consistent, then you, it's not intimidating to start because you just kind of join in with the noise that's already there. Mm. Um Look, I mean, I can't think of anything. <laughs> imagine, yeah. imagine the grief we'd get if we suddenly went, Oh, we're going to put a, a band in the, uh, the, the wall at Spurs because they just can't generate an atmosphere. I'm not saying we couldn't generate an atmosphere. I'm just yeah. saying it was interesting the difference between. When you were up, you were up, but it was quite hard to maintain that throughout, especially that first forty-five, because it, it was a bit touchy, and we were, yeah, you know, we need we needed the three points to yeah, go back to from Arsenal. Thank you very much, Ryan. <laughs>
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, Joe, I wanted to kind of leap to Spurs's defence here a little bit because I think that. Um, you know, a lot of the clubs around Europe, you know, you think of Dortmund, for example. Dortmund have a drummer and a guy on a megaphone. So their whole culture of building an atmosphere is based around that thing. So, I mean, I wouldn't personally feel that Spurs deserved any grief if they did install a drummer and a guy on a megaphone because you need a spark for a stand that big.
3: I think that that's quite a fair point. I think we're just all, you know, it's that kind of arrogance of. Well, we're just, we're great fans and we we don't need to create something. We are something. So you like to think that it's it's just a natural evolution, but yeah, you're right. How does it happen? Well, it happens because someone puts in um, the conductor or the the drummer or the, um, but I think it's our fear of, well, this should just happen naturally and we should just naturally be great and naturally have this great atmosphere. Well, those things are because you know you don't naturally get a great atmosphere. You know, look what they've had to do with the shape of a stadium mm. and the architecture to to get a great atmosphere. That that is that that is all forced effectively. That is all created. It, it's not a natural thing.
0: Yeah,
1: mm. great point. So, all three of us did our top four predictions the other day, and we all had. Spurs in the top four, including wow.
3: me. Oh, I like your confidence. <laughs>
1: I'm just
3: I'm just a typical Spurs fan. I just can't be confident about it because oh. it's Spurs. I mean, do you know what? If we're not in the Champions League next season, it's an absolute farce.
0: Well you're gonna win because... it, Joe. You're gonna win it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's sort that of out right <laughs> then. You're win it.
3: <clears throat> I don't think we are, but we need we need we need top four. And actually I think hopefully after last night that's given them the impetus to go right, we need to get our heads down now and this is serious because everyone was taking football seriously at Wembley, but it just felt like we were treading water and we were just, okay, we're not really, not putting our hearts and soul into this and we're just grinding out a few results because we just have to and then when we get back home, it's all going to be okay. And it's like, right, you, you've got to do it now. You've got you've got to show your worth now. You've got to um, show what you're made of almost and we, we've we got, what, a month and a half to do that.
1: So do you think that the the, moving now will act as a catalyst as opposed to, you don't think there'll be any like bedding in period. Do you think it's given a bit of a boost that Spurs kind of needed actually? I mean, it was a poor run of form. It's like no wins in five, I believe mm, in the league.
3: Five. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. No, we absolutely. And also, grinding out a result like that last night that like Palace were tricky mm.
0: good team um, away from
1: home
3: they, yeah they honestly and they were so tight and especially at the back we could not we couldn't get through we couldn't get we couldn't get any joy and actually if you can if you can get a 2-0 win there then i think that does give you a boost my only concern is we come off the back of that and then, you know, I don't know, we lose 4-0 to City on Tuesday. All that is wiped.
0: I'm quite bullish on Spurs in the Champions League because I think that Pochner's got the tactical chops. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm optimistic.
1: Also, Joe, I, I thought I was the, the pessimist about my own club. So it's been
0: really refreshing <laughs> speaking to you.
3: <laughs> I call Ryan, I call myself, a, I actually don't think I'm a pessimist. I just think I'm a realist. Yeah, And exactly. I don't like. The realist in me goes, yes, that was wonderful. And I'm, I'm very happy about last night. But I'm also very conscious that if we lose two, three, even four nil against City on Tuesday, <laughs> then we need. To, then what happens? I don't know. Huddersfield, you know, they suddenly because they they don't they don't need to win anything anymore. They just next Saturday they come at us, and I don't know. It's one one or it's one nil. It can all go to pot again. Now, yeah, I agree with you, Musa. I think I think Potch is. I'm, I'm not giving Potch enough credit there. However i'm just however your very, i'm fan. very real about these things
0: okay well on, on that on that uplifting note joe on that, oh my god you may feel as good as battered tofu but anyway um like, joe an absolute joy uh, to have you with us um thank you so much for making time on what's your very busy day for you uh um, oh,
3: anytime
0: and yeah let's um uh wish you the very best of luck and hopefully have you on again soon enough
3: thank you so much
0: thank you so we're almost done we're almost done yep yep anything else
1: Shout out for the George Weyer Robona Selects.
0: Yes. Oh, that's glorious. George,
1: George Weyer, Weyer, my hero. With Sylvester over and over. What a tune.
0: What a player. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> I got, I, I mean, I've enjoyed making all of these so far, but there was something about this one that just big George, gave, me, big George. gave me goosebumps. I think it was a combination because the tune's so hands in the air, just universally loved, I think. And so was George universally loved as a player. Like it's th-
0: funny, there is a guy who is just... When Ware came through in 95, a Liberian footballer, like they almost got his club to qualify, club country to qualify for the World Cup. They almost got there. they were one game away from yeah. doing it in the end. Went down to the last qualifier. Just the way he conducted himself on and off the field and with what we know now in relation to the race issues in Italy, to have gone through that in 95 and to have been so beloved, like to have yeah. gone into that country at that time... And he'd have been such an incredible ambassador for, you know, for African football. Yeah. And then to dedicate his Ballon d'Or to Wenger. I know. You remember he was like, yeah, without Wenger I wouldn't have done this. Well,
1: actually on that tip. Incredible. We've given it a couple of shout outs recently. And I said in when after I posted the Rabona Selects that um, doing George Where now was actually kind of inspired by the latest edition of Caricom.
0: Oh yeah, Caricom. Shout out Callum Jacobs. Yeah, um, which you've got a piece in. And people too. who haven't
1: got it yet please go and order it. We've posted the links so you can check our yeah. Twitter out. and Caricom,
0: reach... spelled C-A-R-I-C-O-M. C-O-M, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, great magazine. And there's a really good opening essay in there about George Ware and Arsene Wenger. And it's really great. It's super good. And um, yeah, so that acted as a little bit of a catalyst to do George Ware this week. Uh, might put another one up this yeah, yeah. week. why not, why not? Um, yeah, I'll probably have a piece up after the Classica. Yeah. which I'm going
0: to write on my long long train back Um, you got anything coming up writing wise anything come up for me on ESPN the truth is the way it works the ESPN I normally just respond to what's going on in football so if I love a particular event I tweet about it and then I might get asked to write about it and then pump it out so for the time being nothing really but we'll see we'll are going
1: to do a piece on the super catfish show on the weekend <laughs> no
0: I'm not listen I'm amazed <laughs> was come after me for that so I'm going to keep myself quiet now keep well
1: quiet I, I was surprised it didn't come after me <laughs> yeah that's true I think, I think I got away with it because I was referring to my the club that I support also as a catfish we so. get away
0: with a lot on this podcast that's for sure we do we do yeah. Um, cool yeah I think that's it well good okay then you can find us on all social media handles at Rabonamag Instagram Facebook Twitter tell a friend tell an enemy
1: and oh, you yeah. haven't said that for a while.
0: I know, I know. You've got to keep it, got to keep it in reserve. Yeah, and uh, see you soon. Thanks for joining us.